Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Fail or Flourish. All right, so last week, as you know, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where olives are crushed for their oil. And somewhere deep in that olive grove, under the darkness of night, there was Jesus. And he was on his knees and he was praying and he was thinking about what the next 24 hours are gonna look like. You see, as Jesus, deep in that olive grove, it was a, if it was a clear night, no doubt a full moon on that Passover, uh, as he's sitting, praying underneath the, the, the moonlight, um, he begins to become troubled in spirit. He begins to understand that he's about to experience something absolutely dreadful He's about to experience the crushing weight of the sin of the world. And as he's thinking about that, as he's contemplating the cross, his sweat becomes like great drops of blood. And if you weren't snoring like Peter, James, and John, you could have heard his cry of anguish. From deep in that olive grove, you could have heard the words, Father, Remove this cup from me. I don't want to drink this cup. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And at some point, thank God for this, but at some point as Jesus continued to pray, as he persevered in prayer, at some point he experienced a breakthrough. As he persevered in prayer, here's what happened. All of a sudden, he received strength from on high. How many of you guys are thankful for, for, for strength from on high, right? As he's persevering in prayer, he receives strength from on high. He gets up from his knees. And he walks over to his drowsy disciples and he says, come on, get up, let's go. My betrayer is at hand. You need to know as Jesus persevered, as he pushed in prayer, as he prayed until something happened, something did happen. He received a touch from his father. Luke talks about, I think it was Luke, how he got touched by an angel. I believe it was so much more than that. He received strength from heaven. Next thing you know, everything's changed. His demeanor's changed. His cries all of a sudden turn into confidence. His despair all of a sudden turns into determination. And he's like, Peter, James, John, get up. I've got a world to save. Everything changed. Right about then, here comes Judas with the, with the mob, their swords, their clubs. And what does Jesus do? Does he turn around and run away like the other disciples? No, looks him right in the eye, walks right toward them, ready to drink the cup that the Father would not remove from him. How many of you guys are happy that Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done? Right? Our eternity is dependent upon that. Have you ever thought about that? Your, your eternal place, your eternal destination is based upon Jesus' attitude, not my will, but your will be done. And so when we're faced with difficulties, how many of you guys know that we're gonna be faced with trials, troubles, tribulations, right? When we're faced with difficulty, as that's facing us, we have a choice. We can either pray and push. In other words, we can pray until something happens or we can sleep, we can snore, we can keep hitting the snooze button, and we can be filled with fear. I want you to know that no matter how down, how distraught, how distressed you may be this morning, 
how empty you may feel, if you'll do that, if you'll begin to allow your prayer life to go from maybe uh, one or two minutes a day to longer, if whether you feel like it or not, if you will push, if you'll pray until something happens, something will happen. You'll receive a spiritual breakthrough. Did you know that Paul wrote about this in Philippians chapter four? Paul said, don't be anxious, don't worry about anything, but in how many things? In everything. Here it is. By prayer. That's the missing link in the church. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay, and so here's the spiritual breakthrough. And the what of God? See, that's a supernatural touch from God. That's the strength that he wants to give you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you and I, when faced with trouble, will push in prayer, our cries can be turned to confidence. Our despair can be turned into determination. And instead of running away and freaking out and falling apart, we can embrace and glorify God through any difficulty. And so, they arrest Jesus. And Mark doesn't tell us this, but John's gospel does. They take him to Annas' house. If you remember Annas, he was the old guy, the rich guy. In terms of our economy today, he was probably a millionaire. He was the former high priest. He hated Jesus. Does anybody remember why he hated Jesus? Because if you remember about a month ago, Jesus walked onto the court of the Gentiles and instead of seeing a house for all nations, a place of prayer, he saw a massive money-making marketplace. That belonged to Annas. And so he began to turn over the tables and throw the chairs. He even made a whip and drove out the money changers. And Jesus said, how dare you, I'm paraphrasing, how dare you turn my father's house a place of prayer into a den of thieves. Annas did not like that because Jesus' preaching was affecting his wallet. He hated him. He despised him. They took Jesus bound to Annas' house and Jesus was mistreated by Annas and his men. And then at that point, they sent Jesus to Annas' son-in-law, the current high priest. His name was Caiaphas. And so we're picking it up today in verse 53. And so if you're looking at Mark 14, 53, just say amen. amen. Here we go. And they led Jesus to the high priest, to Caiaphas. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And so here we see a gathering of the Sanhedrin, the highest authority in Israel. And it says in verse 54 that Peter had followed Jesus. This is interesting. At a distance. What are you doing, Pete? He's following the Lord at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the who? The guards, many of whom, no doubt, had just arrested Jesus under the cover of night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter's there, he's sitting with these guys, hoping to God they don't recognize him, right? He's sitting with the guards and he's warming himself by the fire. And I think, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you following Jesus at a distance? What's going on here? Why are you sitting down with the Lord's enemies, warming yourself by the fire? 
Don't you remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Peter, you're, you're leaving yourself wide open to get torn up by the devil. Now we're gonna return to this thought here in a moment, but first we gotta deal with the illegal trial of Jesus Christ. And before we read verses 55 through 59, you need to know that the Sanhedrin was out for blood. They wanted Jesus dead. For the better part of three years, Jesus had called these guys out for their hypocrisy, for their legalism, for their overall religious facade. He would say things like Matthew 23, you guys are just a bunch of whited sepulchers. In other words, whitewashed tombs on the outside. You're whitewashed, you're beautiful, you have your flowing robes, you seem so religious, but on the inside, you're dead. He offended them, they wanted him dead, but they had to make it seem legal. And that's why they had this trial. All right, so we're picking it up right now in verse 55. It says, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to what? To death. Sounds like they already made up their minds. <laughs> Predetermined outcome here. But they found none. They found no testimony. Verse 56, this is really sad. For many bore false witness against the Lord. Isn't that sad? I mean, good night. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he gave the ability to walk to cripples and sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and the ability to speak to the mute, and there's many false witnesses standing against him right now. For which miracle? <laughs> For which good deed? For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree, verse 57. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, well, we heard him say, okay, note this. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet, even about this, their testimony did not agree. And so here they are, false witness after false witness, and one of the guys says, I heard him with my own ears. He dishonored Herod's temple. He dishonored our temple. He, he said, I'm gonna destroy this temple. Now, those of you who know the Gospel of John, did Jesus really say that? No. I'm gonna quote exactly what Jesus said in John chapter two, verse 19. He said, quote, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He didn't say, I'm gonna destroy the temple. Everybody look at me. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What temple was Jesus talking about? John tells us, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his what? His body. So they're lying out of their teeth. He didn't say that. He's talking about the temple of his body, not the temple. When therefore he was raised from the dead, I love this, his disciples, remember two things here, okay? They remembered that he had said this and they believed the what? The scripture. Please know they did not have the New Testament at that time. All they had was what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Therefore, the Hebrew scriptures prophesize that the Messiah 
would rise from the dead. Did you know that? You can use this for your skeptic friends who say the Bible is just made up by man. Well, if the Bible's made up by man, how do you explain predictive prophecy? How do you explain hundreds of prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth, fulfilled in detail through his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension? Psalm 1610, written 1,000 years before Christ, David, in that messianic psalm, wrote, for you will not abandon my soul to the grave or allow, here it is, your Holy One, talking about the Messiah in the future. You're not gonna allow, Father, your Holy One, the Messiah, to see corruption. And so a thousand years before it happened, David, the prophet, he wasn't just a king. David, the prophet, prophesied that one day the Messiah, his body would not be allowed to decompose in the grave. Why? Because if you kill this body in three days, I'm gonna march out of that grave. And the disciples, three lines up, believed. Everybody say believe. You cannot be saved unless you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believed. The scripture, this is why we make such a big deal about the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so, they were lying out of their teeth. Jesus never threatened to destroy the temple. And yet false witness after false witness after false witness kept standing up there speaking their lies against Jesus. The whole thing, ladies and gentlemen, was a sham. Now, Don Stewart, who spoke here last year from Southern California, he's a scholar. He said the trial of Jesus was illegal in a number of ways. First, there was no possibility of him receiving a fair trial because the verdict had already been determined in advance, right? They, they wanted him dead. It was also illegal to try someone at night for a capital crime. And they gathered at night. The witness used at Jesus' trial, they were false, all those witnesses. Not only should their testimony have been rejected, they themselves should have been punished. Finally, and most important, Jesus' admission of being the Messiah, we'll see that in a moment, was never seriously considered. As soon as he admitted his identity, they charged him with blasphemy and declared him guilt, guilty. There was not the least bit of effort to determine if his claims may have been true. And so the verdict was predetermined. They tried him at night. They purposefully picked false witnesses and they gave no consideration of Jesus' testimony. This was not a trial, it was a circus. They weren't out for justice, they were out for revenge. And the high priest knew it, he knew it in his heart and he pushed forward because he hated Jesus. But he starts to see his case against Jesus is falling apart and so he decides to take matters into his own hands. And so look at what Caiaphas does in verse 60. It says that the high priest stood up in the midst and he asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained, what? And made no answer. 
Caiaphas knows his testimony, his, his case against Jesus is falling apart because of all the contradictory testimony. And so he gets up, he says, what do you have to say for yourself, you know, young man? And Jesus is silent, fulfilling yet another Old Testament prophecy. If you're new to the Bible, man, you've got to read the second half of Psalm 52 and all of Psalm 53. And ask yourself when you're done reading it, who is this talking about? 700 years BC, he, the suffering servant, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Except for a few remarks, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, remained silent as he was led to the slaughter of the cross. And so because he's not talking, Caiaphas is losing patience. And so Caiaphas gets straight to the point. Please look now at verse 61. So Jesus is quiet. He made no answer. Check it out, verse 61. And the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? He gets right to the point here. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Verse 62, and Jesus said, everybody say the next two words. I am. I am. Isn't that awesome? No, am, no uh, ambiguity about that. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And everybody, no doubt, gasped. Right, what a shocking testimony. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? I am. When he needed, when he needed to speak, he spoke. Some people say, I heard a debate recently, you know, Jesus is just a prophet. He's like on the same level as Jeremiah. Jeremiah was saying the same things. No, 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 you got it all wrong. He wasn't just a prophet, he was God in the flesh. The Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he admitted it clearly. He was quoting from Daniel, by the way, another prophecy fulfilled. You guys see in my preaching how I keep bringing you back to the Old Testament prophecies? Because I wanna strengthen your faith that this is not a man-made-up book that's filled with errors. Number one, it has no errors. Number two, God the Holy Spirit moved upon men as they wrote the word of God and as he spoke the word of God. The way you prove that is through hundreds of prophecies given before fulfilled in detail in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus quotes from Daniel, and he says, 600 BC, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him, this is the Messiah, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that how many peoples? Oh, this is exciting, ladies and gentlemen, this day's coming to this earth, this earth, and that, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. How many of you are looking forward to that kingdom that's coming to this earth someday? It's going to happen. It absolutely is going to happen. You say, no, I don't really think it's going to. Well, guess what? Even though you're skeptical, it's gonna happen. I'm just trying to get you to believe beforehand. 
And I can preach till I'm blue in the face and try to, you know, browbeat you to death, but that's not gonna work. You need to open your heart to the Spirit of God and believe in the risen Jesus Christ that he's gonna come and he's gonna establish his kingdom on the earth. And so Jesus said in no uncertain terms, Jesus said with no, one, no ambiguity, I'm the Christ, I'm the son of the living God. And after that testimony, everybody went ballistic. It's gonna be hard, but I want you to read with me verse by verse, starting in verse 63. And the high priest tore his garments and he said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Verse 65, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So imagine the scene. They all condemned him to death. And then they started walking up to him and spit right in his face. They spit in the face of the Son of God. They spit in the face of the Creator. You say, wait, wait, time out. What? (laughs) The Creator? Yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. They spit in the face of God. This is human depravity at its worst. This shows you what people are capable of. After they spit in his face, they blindfolded him, they hit him. Can you see it? There's Jesus, he's blindfolded. They're walking up to him and bam! Who hit you, Jesus, if you're a prophet? And they kept hitting him and hitting him. Now, we have natural reflexes. So when we see a blow coming, we tense up, we put our arms up, we roll with a punch to try to lessen the blow. He's blindfolded. You see, it's it's when a quarterback gets hit from his blind side that he's taken off on a stretcher. It's when a boxer doesn't see a a blow coming that his knees buckle and often he hits the floor. And so Jesus, no doubt, hit the floor plenty of times during this whole thing. And so they they, they beat him to to, to the place where his face, it was a lot of damage. I wanna say again, this is prophesied in the Old Testament in detail. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human, And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he did that for you because he loves you so much. That's amazing love, is it not? And by the way, what amazing detail in the prophecies. This is, we're not talking about Nostradamus, you know? Oh, Nostradamus, you should read him, it's amazing. He predicted the future. He didn't predict anything. He just said a bunch of general things that you and I can try to apply to whatever we want to apply. That's not the word of God. When the word of God prophesies, it prophesies in detail. Because again, the spirit of God moved upon men as they wrote the word of God. And so he was beat to a pulp, he was bloodied, he was bruised. And don't you guys know he could have called on more than 12 legions of angels 
to rescue him? And don't you know that the angels were ready? Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, whether you're new to the Bible or not, or new to Christianity or not, don't you know that there is a material realm and there's an immaterial realm? That there's flesh and there's spirit? And that in the spirit realm, there are angels and there's demons? Have you never read 2 Kings chapter six, when Elisha, the prophet and the man of God is standing there and the Syrian army that's ticked off surrounds the city where Elisha um, is ministering and there's his servant and all the servant can see is this vast Syrian army and he begins to freak out and fall apart. And Elisha says, Lord, would you open his eyes? You remember what happened? And all of a sudden he looked and the mountain was filled with the armies of heaven. And Elisha said, hey, servant, those who are with us are a lot more than those who are against us. Don't you know as they're spitting on Jesus and beating him that the armies of heaven were right there? I can see Gabriel, he's got his hand on his sword and he is like, come on, let's just say the word. I am so ready. I can see Michael saying, calm down, Gabe. It's gonna be all right. He hasn't called on us, right? Don't you guys realize that when we pray, we do spiritual warfare? And so there's battles in the heavenlies, even as we speak. I bet you there was, I know for a fact, there was a whole lot of people that prayed for these weekend services for all of you. And some of you weren't gonna come and you were drawn somehow to come, to worship, to hear the word. Listen, you ought, to, you ought to thank the Lord next time you're praying for those people who pray for you. And I do the same. And we have a great, great team of prayer warriors in this church, by the way. And so why didn't the Lord wipe them all out? Here's why, he had to drink the cup the Father had given him to the dregs. And that included intense suffering. But here's, here's another reason. If you're with me, say amen here. Why didn't Jesus just wipe them all out? He could have. He didn't even need the help of angels. He could have just went, and they all would have been blown to hell. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he wipe them out? Here's why. He wanted to leave us an example of how we should respond when we suffer for doing good. Right? Here's what I want you to know. That God has not given us as Christians and as pastors and evangelists and teachers, he hasn't just given us the evangel. The word evangel means gospel. He hasn't just giving, uh, given us the evangel. He's also given us an ethic. He hasn't just given us the gospel. He also gives us instructions on how to be good. And you, you, if you know me, you know my preaching by now. I'm straight from Romans, straight from Galatians, straight from Ephesians. The good works do not earn your way to heaven. They are the result, the fruit of a life that's been changed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But you need to know that when you read the Pauline epistles, the first half is always about doctrine and the second half is always about how to live. We're given an evangel and an ethic, a gospel and instructions on how to be good. And we have to do both. Look at what Peter says. For God called you to what? What's the word? Good, everybody look at me. Be good this week, okay? That's easy. When you have a choice, right or wrong, good or evil, 
be good. Because listen, people are watching. That means don't go off and get drunk this week. Don't engage in illegal drugs. Stop looking at the pornography. Stop sleeping around with people who are not your spouse. Stop flirting with people who are not your spouse. You know, your conscience is bothering you. Just be good. You can't do it in your own strength. You need the Holy Spirit. Guess what? God made provision for that too. You can have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to help you to be good. Just be good. When you're, when you're driving, when you're driving this week and all of our patients will be tested this week. Don't speed. Don't cut somebody off and then put up the wrong finger. You see... People wonder, Pastor Mike, how come Calvary never does the, the bumper stickers? There's a reason. <laughs> there is a reason. For 14 and a half years, we don't have Calvary PSL bumper stickers out there. And so, hey, God called us to be good. Even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he's your example, and you must follow in his steps. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left the case in God's hands, who always judges fairly. And so they mocked him, beat him, spit on him. He didn't respond in kind. He was good. What principle can we extract from this? Here it is, our response to hate should never be hate. Open your heart. Don't shut me out. Who hates you? Who's mistreating you? Who's insulting you? Who's speaking about you behind your back? How have you responded? Was it tit for tat? They insulted you, you insulted them back. They got you on Facebook, you got them back. They threw dirt, you're like, boom, yes, oh, I feel so good. <laughs> Let me tell you something, it'll, it'll feel good for a season, but, but here's the thing, if you keep doing this, whew, whew, what are you doing? You are burying yourself in a hole. Stop throwing the dirt. When Jesus was insulted, he didn't retaliate when he suffered. He didn't threaten revenge. He just gave it to God who always judges fairly. And you say, pastor, you don't understand. They're getting away with murder. Listen, you ever heard this verse? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, all the books will be settled in the end, in God's time. He's got you. He's your daddy. He's gonna take care of you. He didn't say vengeance is yours. He says vengeance is mine. And so how should we treat our enemies? Vengeance? No, no, no. Jesus said love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Please say the word love. love. Please say the word pray. pray. Now you have your instructions. It's, Christianity's simple, isn't it? <laughs> now you have your instructions on how to treat those who are being nasty to you. Love them and pray, them. pray for them. You say, um, Jesus said that? Yeah, Matthew 5, 44. And he didn't just say it, he lived it. Right? And so they're spitting in his face, right? And he's thinking, in a little while, I'm gonna die for your sins. 
and they're standing at the cross. He saved others, he can't save himself, ha, 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 And he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. We must follow his example. It's not just an evangel, it's not just the gospel, it's an ethic. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's read the last part of the chapter, but please stay with me all the way to the end because now we're gonna talk about Peter's failure. And so look at verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Okay, so there's Peter, he's sitting around the fire. It's dark, so you can barely see faces just by the light of the fire. He's there, he's warming his hands, and all of a sudden this servant of Caiaphas walks up, this girl, and, and she's looking at his face, trying to see. And it says in verse 67, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, well, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway. Okay, so Peter's sweating, and it's not because of the fire. He's trying to get out of there. But he goes over to the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Hmm. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, all those soldiers around the fire, this man is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you're a, you're a Galilean, right? We can tell by your accent, you were talking around the fire. That's what Peter always did, he talked. I hear the accent, just like if you and I heard a New Jersey accent, we know that they're not from around here, right? Verse 71, but he, Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, going back to his BC days as a fisherman. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Now stop right there, please look at me. You need to know, Mark doesn't put it in, Luke does. Luke says right now, when the rooster crowed the second time, they were leading Jesus out, because there's, there's Jesus, right? He's probably limping, he's, he can't, you can't even recognize his face, he's all beat up, and, but, but he, at that moment, the rooster crows the second time, it says, Luke says he looks at Peter, and Peter looks at him. They catch eyes right then. Can you imagine how Peter just, how he feels? It says, and Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and what? He wept. Why did Peter fail? We covered a couple of these last week, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on them. But number one, self-confidence. Number two, a lack of prayer. Number three, he became spiritually remote. Okay, I covered one and two last week, but let me just quickly remind you, self-confidence. The Lord said to them in the Garden of Gethsemane, or at least on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, hey, you guys are all gonna fall. You're all gonna fail. And you remember what Peter, Peter's like, not me. They can all fail. I'm not gonna fail. They can all fall. I'm not gonna fall. I'll never deny you. Hmm. Self-confidence. Pride. 
ego. This is what we tend to do for two reasons. Number one, it's deep in our hearts. But number two, it's the message of our culture. Love yourself. You know, just be infatuated with yourself. Be all about yourself. It just makes me want to throw up. You know, and so it's self-confidence. And if we choose self-confidence and pride, we're going to fall as believers. How many of you know, how many of you know there's a target on your back because you're a born-again believer? And so as soon as you start relying on yourself instead of relying on hanging out with, looking to, depending on, leaning on Jesus Christ, if you're self-confident, you're gonna fall. And I will fall as well. But not only that, lack of prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked Peter to pray and Peter slept. And he said, Peter, in 1437, Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you pray and watch for one hour? Peter, what's going on, man? Wake up. And so, it's been said, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. How many of you guys want spiritual power in your life? Amen. I do. I'll raise two hands. <laughs> and so Peter did not pray, therefore he had no power, therefore he fell. And if we neglect prayer, we're not gonna have power. We, our chest may stick out, but we're not gonna have spiritual power to help people's lives change. And we're gonna fall when temptation comes. But here's the part I didn't cover last week, and that's Peter got, became spiritually remote. In verse 14, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 54, it says that Peter followed at a distance. Do you remember that? And so instead of walking side by side with Jesus all the way from the Garden of Gethsemane into Caiaphas's house, Peter ran away for a little while and then he followed at a distance and he got into the courtyard and now he's sitting in the seat of the scornful, warming himself by the fire. He became spiritually aloof, spiritually remote. He followed at a distance. And I'm just wondering, what if, what if Peter, while he's warming his hands by the fire, what if he thought, you know what? I shouldn't be out here. I love him. I need to get in there. And what if he got up and walked right into Caiaphas's house and said, members of the Sanhedrin, you have all these witnesses, I want a witness. What if Peter, while many people are stepping up, speaking against Jesus, what if he would have stood for Jesus? Walked in there, stood by his side and said, Caiaphas, members of the Sanhedrin, I want you to know, for the better part of three years, I have heard the words of, these man, of this man. I have seen his miracles, miracle after miracle. I've never been loved by anybody like this guy has loved me. And I've come to believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Can you imagine if Peter would have done that? You say, pastor, they would have killed him. Maybe so. But if Peter had a do-over, I guarantee you he would have chose courage over cowardice even if they killed him and what happened his eyes met Jesus eyes and he knew he blew it and he went out and he wept why because he became spiritually remote he followed the Lord at a distance and he was attacked by the devil he was torn up to shreds just check this out I want you to imagine a, a shepherd and sheep a flock of sheep now what happens when one of the sheep lags behind and follows at a distance. 
that sheep is the one that's targeted by the wolf. And that's the sheep that gets torn up. Peter removes himself and follows at a distance. He makes himself vulnerable and he got torn up. I mean, he's feeling bad. You guys need to know that man did not invent the church. Jesus invented the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is not a work of the flesh. This is not a work of a man or men or men and women. This is a work of Jesus Christ in this community, one of many churches. But you need to know that we are the flock of God. And so if you allow yourself to become aloof and to follow at a distance, you are making yourself vulnerable to be pinpointed and attacked and torn up by the enemy. So the next time you get up and you say, I really don't wanna go to church, remind yourself of this word picture that I'm drawing for you. And whether you feel like it or not, come join the flock. Join the flock during the week, starting in January, February, in a Calvary group. Stay with the flock, stay with the shepherd because the shepherd is with his sheep. And when the wolf tries to get around the flock, boom! The good shepherd says, don't mess with my kids. But if you're lagging behind, you're vulnerable. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, so before the rooster crowed twice, Peter denies him three times, their eyes locked, he's feeling guilty, he's beating himself up. But, how many of you are happy that God is a God of second chances? Right? He failed, but man, wow, did Peter ever flourish. And that's your next point. Peter failed, but later he flourished. One of the most amazing transformations that we see in the Bible is Peter, the apostle Peter. When you compare what he did in Mark 14, which we just read about, to his life in the book of Acts, and you read his epistles, you're like, wow, what in the world happened? And so in Acts chapter three, Peter's used by the Lord to heal a lame beggar by the beautiful gate in the temple. And because of this healing, and this guy is now walking, a crowd gathers and Peter shares the gospel. And by the way, if God opens the door this week for you to share the gospel, go through the door, share the gospel, let the chips fall. He shares the gospel and he gets arrested. By the way, we have it made in America. No one's gonna arrest us for sharing the gospel. Peter got arrested. He had to spend time in prison. And now I asked you to, to mark Acts 4. Okay, so look at Acts 4 right now. And I'm gonna show you Peter's second chance. So it says, starting in Acts 4, verse 5, that on the next day, this is after Peter spent some time in prison, on the next day, their rulers, that's the Sanhedrin, <laughs> their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and who? Caiaphas, you see? It's all happening again. Deja vu. Second chance, Pete. How are you gonna do? And so here's the Sanhedrin, along with John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Verse seven. And when they had 
set them, that's Peter and the boys, in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Heal this crippled guy. And then Peter, please note this, filled with the Holy Spirit. Please say out loud, filled with the Holy Spirit. Go ahead. It'll make all the difference in the world. Said to them, rulers of the people and elders. He's got a second chance. He's not aloof. He's not remote. He's not out by the fire warming his hands. He's not choosing cowardice. He's choosing character right now. He's standing in front of the Sanhedrin and he says, rulers of the people and elders. Verse nine. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people in Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you and the, the, uh, the builders which uh, has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Wow, Peter, great job. Yes, yes, you got your second chance and you made the most of it. And I gotta believe as he's standing before the Sanhedrin the second time that Jesus by his spirit stood by his side and said, that away, boy. And Peter in the power of the spirit because he was filled with the spirit, he went boom. And that ball 2000 years ago is still flying and flying and flying. That's the difference that can be made in a life. And so you say, well, what made the difference? What was the difference between his failure and his flourishing? Last point, here it is. What made the difference was the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what, two of the main things that separate Christians from Jews right here. I'm talking about Orthodox Jews who do not believe in Jesus. I'm not talking about Messianic Jews. Praise God for them. But listen, this is the difference right here. This is the difference between us and the whole world. The resurrection of Christ is a fact of history. It's not a myth. It's a fact. And it can be proven. And so Peter beats himself up from Passover to Pentecost. Peter beats himself up for weeks. And what does he do? At some point, he sees the resurrected Christ. And on one of those occasions, the resurrected Christ says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Okay, Lord, starts to walk away. Peter, come back. Do you love me? Yeah. Tend my sheep. Okay, Lord, thank you. He starts walking away. No, 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 Peter. Do you love me? How many fingers am I holding up? Why did he ask him three times if he loved him? He, he's, he denied him three times. He's restoring Peter. Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. And the resurrected Christ forgives Peter. You see, Peter's failure did not have to define him. 
No, the resurrected Christ forgave him, restored him, and said, Peter and the other apostles, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And sure enough, Acts chapter two comes. They're praying, they're waiting, and the Spirit of God They had a vision of tongues of fire sat upon each of them and everything in Peter's life changed. Everything. He became not just a man, he became a spirit-filled man. That's what God wants from all of us in this room. All of you watching right now on the live stream. God wants us not just to be men and women, he wants us to be spirit-filled men and women. And the question is, do you believe on the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If so, your failure does not have to define you. You can go to him and he will restore you. He will forgive you. He will wash you white as snow. And then if you ask him, he'll fill you up with his Holy Spirit to overflowing and give you a power that you never had to persevere and glorify his name. Amen.